Let the children of God say amen. amen. Let the children of God say amen again. Amen. How blessed are we on this morning to come here and give God all of the gratitude, the honor, the praise, the magnification, the glorification that he is due. For our God is more than worthy. He's so worthy that if he doesn't do anything else, then he's already done more than enough. And if you haven't thought that he has done more than enough, believe me, he's already done more than we deserve. And therefore, any way that he blesses us, we ought to be satisfied. Because every blessing, even if we can't recognize it with our eyes, is still evident by his hand. And that's why we can look back over our lives and see where we thought we were in the pitfalls of our lives and then give praise for our life because God was working behind the scenes at all times and in all things. If you can't tell, I'm ready to have some church this morning. Say amen when you can. We are so blessed to be here and to be gathered when many want to be here and cannot. We want the Gray Road family to be cognizant that next week is Friends and Family Day. It's also our taste of Gray Road, so we expect the building to be packed. Say amen when you can. Uh, that means everybody should be bringing anybody. Hello. Uh, when my friends won't come, bring anybody. Uh, my coworkers won't come, bring anybody. If they need a ride, pick them up. They're hungry, feed them. Say amen when you can. Uh, everybody you know should have an invitation to be here. Uh, your friends, your family. Some would say, well, it's hard for me to invite people. Well, start with your family. Uh, those kids you ain't seen in 20 years, call them up. That parent that wants to see something positive in your life, call them up. That cousin you go to the mall with, hello, somebody, call them up. And tell them there's something exciting going on in the house of the Lord. We want our young ladies to be cognizant. There is an advertisement in your bulletin about discovering or learning about the chocolate in me. Uh, something Michelle Jarman, uh, the wife of our upcoming teen director, has something for young ladies, teaching them how not only to be secular, but how to be spiritual. Uh, we want to prepare them for the world ahead. We encourage that you preview that and sign your young lady up and have your young lady bring her girlfriends uh, here to the house of the Lord. Also, this Friday is the first installment of our new radio broadcast, uh, Good News from the Great. Uh, it's this Friday at 4.30, so I encourage you to listen and invite everybody you know to listen uh, to Inspiration 10.50 a.m., Cincinnati's 24-hour urban gospel connection. Say amen. I I've been practicing that. Um, have them listen to that in the broadcast. The purpose is to engage people who have not yet come here to be here uh, so they can be bettered from what takes place in this building. Uh, lastly, today is Joshua's birthday, and I'm not saying that because it's Joshua's birthday primarily, because uh, he's not even here, he's ill, pray for him. Uh, but it was two years ago on Joshua's first birthday uh, that my wife and I loaded up a 27-foot Penske truck and moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and it's a blessing to be here and serving you for these last two years. I thank you for putting up with me. Uh, I thank you for maturing me 
And I thank you for continuing to mentor my and my family. We are so appreciative. Prayerfully, we are depositing valuable things in your life as you're depositing valuable things in our life. I don't take that for granted. I do not take that for granted. Meet me, if you will, in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning there at verse number 1. The letter written to the Roman church 25 years after the introduction of modern-day Christianity. Romans chapter 12, beginning there at verse number 1. When you find yourself there, let's be standing for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Romans chapter 12, beginning there at verse number 1. For those of us who have already identified with Christ, we know we identified with Christ due to a plan of salvation. That plan of salvation is commonly a typified to be here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. That's what we do to come to Christ. Uh, but we always and some often forget the last step, and that is to live faithful unto death. Understand, here in Romans 12, Paul tells us the plan of salvation after we meet the man of salvation. Here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized brings us to Christ, the man of salvation. Paul is here saying, look, you've come in contact with the man. You've been baptized, but there's a plan to keep us saved. I wish I had somebody in here. We do not believe in once saved, always saved. It is not a biblical construct. Man must work out his own salvation. So Paul says, this is a step-by-step guide. This is how you stay in Christ Jesus. Therefore, oh, that's a sermon all by itself. Therefore, I urge and or beg, depending on your version, you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and, don't forget that conjunction, and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. Then you will be able. Then you will be able. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you have some time this morning, I want to speak from the thought, but there's still hope for you. But there's still hope for you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let's go to God in prayer. Devil, kind and gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for another opportunity to be your children and serve you as our Father, our Lord, and our Master. Father, this time be with everyone under the sound of my voice, Father. Open their minds, their hearts, their spirits, their souls, and yes, even their ears, Father. Father, right now use your manservant to speak a word of life, to everyone gathered here, including himself. Father, I'm not worthy to stand here. It's only because of your blood. 
that I'm allowed to stand behind this sacred desk. Forgive me of my sins, creating me a clean heart. So I may now prognosticate your word. Father, help me to stand flat-footed and firm upon your word. Not my own thoughts or philosophies, ideology or psychology, but Father, let your word be true. And every man alive. Father, bless the word. Father, bless your servant. Bless us all now as your children. All these things we ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. But there's still hope for you. Hope, what we want, but not always what we can see. Hope, that thirst that we are continuously trying to quench. Hope, that mountain we climb, never seeing the top, but knowing there's somewhere better than the summit. Hope, that thing that we can't describe to, but must prescribe to. Hope, definitively, is the feeling that what is wanted can in fact be had, and that all things will work out for the best. Somebody needs to know on this morning from this pulpit that no matter who you are, where you have been, or whose you have been, there is still hope for you. Because if we don't have hope, then what? do we have? Scripture was written so that we might have hope. Give me some script with that. Come here, Paul. Romans chapter 15, verse number 4. For everything that was written aforetime was for our learning, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have Jesus came to give us hope. And prayerfully this morning, I will serve as your hope dealer. Because it's hope that will take us from hell, that which we deserve, to heaven, that which we delight. Now as we bring our message series under construction to a close, we have come to the point as to where our spiritual house from within our physical dwelling, has been constructed. But even though we may now, for the sake of argument, consider our construction process complete, what we have built, us, must now settle in our foundation. And settling in our foundation, which is now Christ, which is now Christ, which is now Christ, is not easy as it demands that I now change my ways. Don't get quiet on me now. I said it demands that we change our ways. In Christ, I must now change how I love, change how I embody and pursue the peace of God. 
change my surroundings, change my temper, change my tongue. And now as we focus on today's lesson as children of the light, now we must even change the activity of our body, our mind, and our will. And while it can be easy to commit, especially at the water, it can still be difficult to change. Commitment is an occasion as to where change is a lifestyle. Y'all not hearing me this morning. I can commit right now verbally that I'll lose weight. But losing weight is not just a commitment. It's a lifestyle change. Commitment too often is an occasion as to where change is a lifestyle. And one cannot perpetuate an occasional lifestyle. But rather, the relevance of the occasion breeds and feeds a change of lifestyle. Meaning, if your commitment was important to you initially, then your change should be imminent. But how many of us have said yes to commitment, but still say no to change? Therefore, you sit in the pew wondering why you haven't changed even after 25 years. It's because your lifestyle is lacking what your commitment produced. As we parachute into our text, we find our author Paul drawing a bullseye here in Romans chapter 12, right after he references the Gentilian inclusion in Romans chapter 11. Though God had a preordained Israeli preference there in Romans 11, he illustrates there how God has chosen the Gentiles, more perfectly the Romans, to be the branches that were grafted into the plant, even after the fact. I don't know if you know how important that is, but it's powerful to note that we were grafted in after the fact. It's powerful here because to be grafted means that while they, you, I, and we were not originally organic to the plant, you were taken from a former way of life, the wild olive shoot, and grafted in, thus making the invaluable valuable. You Gentiles, you Romans, and even down to us at Gray Road, because ain't none of us Jewish, you were saved not from the seed, but by the seed. Somebody miss your shout at 1106. You weren't saved by the seed because you weren't there in the beginning of the plant. But you were saved by the seed whose name is Jesus Christ. Which means you don't even belong as part of the plant. You don't deserve salvation. But it's because of God's love because of God's mercy, because of God's compassion, that he took you from somewhere else and said, I can still find use in you. I can still find value in you. I will still redeem you. And no, you didn't start off 
in the Israeli heritage, but I will take what's good about you and I will bring that into my fold. And because you're now in my fold, I will bring the good out of you and you can still be saved. It's because of me that you now have hope. If you would have stayed as a wild olive shoot, if you would have stayed in your past ways, if you would have stayed in your past world, you would not have hope. But the only reason that you now have hope because I saw something in you that you did not see in yourself, and I decided to choose you to bring you in to have an inheritance that you did not deserve. You were not saved by your heritage, but by my hand. You were not saved by your heredity, but by my holiness. Romans 11 says this was done to make Israel envious. And because Israel was disinterested, I am now interested in saving the Gentiles, taking what was foreign and making it familial in Christ Jesus. And now, as it is, even the doors of salvation are open to all men. For Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and 4, that it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, especially the Gentiles, meaning those who at one time were seen as filthy are now able to access Christ. Those who at one time were unclean are now able to access Christ. Let's make that practical to today. Now those who got drunk that one night are now able to access Christ. Those who just walked in from the club this morning after a brief stop at Waffle House are now able to access Christ. Those who were just smoking on the church parking lot are now able to access Christ. Those who have seven baby daddies are now able to access Christ. The heterosexual, the homosexual, the bisexual, and the trisexual, that means you try anything, are now able to access Christ. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that God decided to graft in the undesirables because that means that there's a hope of salvation for me. Somebody saying, well, Jeremy, I am a baptized believer, but now I want to be more than just someone who made a decision. Now I really want to be a disciple. I'm tired of being fake, fictitious, and fraudulent. And now I really want to be a Christian. I want to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2. I want to walk like Christ and talk like Christ and think like Christ. I really do want intimacy with Christ Jesus. But how, Jeremy, do I transform from carnality what I know to Christianity what I need to show? I heard what you said the last four weeks. And I've laid Christ down as my foundation and built my spiritual house. But now that I am in Christ and have planted my house on Christ, there is now an unprecedented struggle for my soul. I wish there was a step-by-step -step guide to overcoming my struggle. 
overcoming my demons of my addiction. How can I get this monkey off my back and this snake out of my garden? Paul says, if you follow these steps, then sacrificial spirituality is attainable. Write these steps down. Text these steps to yourself. If you didn't bring a pen, pull out some lipstick. Paul says, if you follow these steps, then sacrificial spirituality is attainable. What must I do, Paul? Number one, you must condition your body. Number two, you must change your thinking. And number three, you must conform your will. Somebody only heard two verses in Scripture reading and thought this was going to be short. Say amen when you can. There are three steps. You must condition your body. You must change your thinking. And you must conform your will. Ooh, can I get in the text now? Oh, the text begins with a pivotal word. And the word in Romans 12, verse number 1, is therefore. Now, preachers always ask the question, what is therefore? Therefore. Meaning, after all that has happened, Paul is saying, I am now begging you to change. If you get nothing else from this lesson, Paul, as I am begging for you, I, and we to change. Everybody got something going on right now that they need to change. We got some attitudes that we need to change. We got some words that come out of our mouth that need to change. We got some interpersonal issues. You too arrogant. You need to change. We got some immorality that we need to change. We got some thoughts. Because some folks say, well, I don't say nothing, but you're thinking that's just as bad. We got some thoughts that we need to change. We got some preconceived notions and biases and prejudices that we need to change. Oh, Paul is saying, therefore, mm, after all that has happened, I'm begging you. I'm urging you, I'm imploring you, I'm beseeching you to change. After I told you about the power of the gospel, Romans chapter 1, now I'm instructing you toward change. After I told you about walking the straight and narrow as it pertains to heterosexual relationships, now I'm instructing you to change. After I told you about how all men sin and sin exhibits wretchedness and leads to death, now I'm instructing you to change. After I told you that man is not justified by his actions, but only by the blood of Jesus. Now I'm instructing you to change. After I reminded you that the law brought about bondage, but Christ Jesus about freedom. Now I'm instructing you to change. After I told you about the good news, the death, burial, and the resurrection, and how God heralds these truths through the mouth of the gospel preacher, now I'm instructing you to change. Why, Paul, is it so important to change? Because your salvation and your eternal hope depends on your change. Some of us go miss heaven because we will not change. Some of us are going to make hell our home because we have refused to change. 
Oh, I get so mad when I go to funerals and folk talk about the dead as if they really were somebody and as if they really did something. And then they put something in the obituary. It's a poem talking about my change of address. You may be looking for me, but now my change of address is in glory. One, two, three, glory, land way. Oh, I'm here to tell somebody. Oh, I wish I had a witness. Everybody, everybody talking about heaven ain't going. Why? Because some folk refuse to change. Paul said, I'm begging you. You are Christians. You are really new members and first generation members of the church. You know how sweet he is. You know how good he is, but you still will not change. Your salvation depends on it. Your hope depends on it. At the end of time, God wants to know if you're better at the end than you were when you started. Therefore is also pivotal phraseology from the standpoint of the flow of the text. There are four different therefores in the Roman letter. In Romans 3.20, the word therefore is used concerning condemnation, declaring the whole world is now guilty before God. In Romans 5.1, the word therefore is used for the purpose of justification. In Romans 8, 1, the word therefore is used to give us assurance. And now in Romans 12, 1, Paul utilizes therefore as a call to dedication. After all that God has done for you, after all that God has been to you, it's time that you now become dedicated to him. And don't just lip this thing, but live this thing. It's time for discipleship. It's time to be dedicated. Well, Jeremy, what is true dedication? Paul says true Christian dedication must involve three realities. Spiritual people. Gray road people. Spiritual people are those who give God their body. Give God their mind and give God their will. I know it's quiet in here because you don't know what I'm going to say next. Say amen when you can. Therefore, I what? Beseech, urge, beg. I'm begging you. Notice we're only 20 to 25 years into the Christian faith. And Paul already has to tell them to be spiritual. He has to beg them because somewhere along the way they lost their spiritual fire, flame, and fervor. And Paul uses this occasion to remind them and us to be spiritual while telling us what it takes to be spiritual and rationalizing why you should be spiritual. I'm begging. Who am I begging? The brothers and the sisters. I gotta beg the church. As a preacher, I ought to be convincing the world to make Christ their savior. But I gotta remind the church to make Christ their choice. Everybody's included. Why? Because everybody needs a checkup from the neck up. I'm begging you. Why check up from the neck up? 
Because really, what's from the neck up is the problem. We can't find you when it's time for the work of the church. It's because what's neck up is the problem. When I come to church, I ain't say coming to church. I said the work of the church. We can't find you for Bible study even though you're not providentially hindered. It's a problem. Neck up. It's quiet in here. Ooh-wee. Your children. It's a problem. From the neck up. While some of us struggle below the waistline, Paul writes to the Romans and says, the source of your spiritual dysfunction is above the neckline. I'm begging you brothers and sisters to be more spiritual, to be more dedicated, to be more committed. Well, ain't nobody saying amen this morning. They say ouch if it applies to you. Paul is begging. I'm begging. Because we need to change. Hello? A hundred folk here at 10, 15. 250 at 11 o'clock. We need to change. 2.50 in the morning. 40 at night. We need to change. 250 on Sunday, 65 on Wednesday. We need to change. We got to become more spiritual. We got to become more dedicated. And that starts with the man in the, pu- in the pulpit. Let me jump off there. Y'all don't like that. I'm begging you, brothers and sisters. I'm so glad that Jesus fell on this text and not through this text. These are brothers and sisters, meaning they were brought and bought with the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20. Purchased means they were assigned value, even though they were powerless, Romans chapter 5. They, the Romans, were already redeemed. But now in this text, Paul encourages them and us to be renewed. Because of the fact that we were redeemed and bought with a price. I don't have to tell you to come to Christ. I have to tell the Roman church to come back to Christ. For the majority of folk at Great Road, I don't have to tell you to come to Christ. I had to tell most of us to come back to Christ. Because a lot of us left Christ a long time ago. Well, I've been baptized in this church as it was Beecher Street. God is coming back. He's not looking for Christians with certificates. He's looking for Christians with change. How have you changed? How have you grown? Yes, you are redeemed, but were you ever renewed? When I 
being Christ, found you. You were worth nothing. But because of my love, because of my sacrifice, because of my grace and now my mercy, you are too valuable to fall away. You are too valuable to return back to your former life. You are too valuable not to be spiritual, not to be committed, not to be dedicated. You are too valuable to return to Satan, your body, your mind, and your will. How valuable are we, Jesus? You are so valuable that I will leave the 99 for you. Even when man leaves you for the 99. Because when it comes to Christ, he doesn't count numbers, but rather he makes numbers count. Brothers and sisters, though you are given the spirit, you are not giving into the spirit, but rather into your flesh. In reaction to this reality, Romans, Gray Road, give God your body, your mind, and give him your will. And if for no other reason, do it because of what he's done for you. Do it for what he's done for you. Do it for what he's done for you. After all he's done in your life, how can you sit there and not be active? After he gave you the child you prayed for, how can you not really raise that child in the admonition of the Lord? After he's given you that job you prayed for, how dare you not give him back what's his off your salary? He gave you the car you prayed for, but you can't find yourself here on time. He gave you the days off work, and now you wake up to make a decision of whether or not you're going to church. I'm begging you. And what? View of God's mercy. God there, stay us. That's all of God. I'm begging you because if the Father means something to you, if the Son means something to you, if the Holy Spirit has guided you, then you ought to want to change. In view of God's mercy. I ain't going to finish verses 1 and 2. Y'all already know that. But, but can I park here for a little while? Change. Be dedicated. Why well, I got to change. Why well, I got to be spiritual. If for no other reason, because of God's mercy. The Greek here speaks of God's mercy as his compassion or his pity. The Greeks suggest that we should change because God is sympathetic of our sinful nature and our undone condition. That's why he sent his son to die because he knew that our sins could not be washed away by rituals or by the blood of lambs, rams, sheep, and goats. Therefore, his compassion and his mercy sent his son. And by mercy, his son mm, gave his life to answer the question, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God's mercy also speaks to God's forbearance. Mm, somebody missed the amen on that word. It speaks to God's forbearance, meaning you ought to change because God has given you time to get your life and your situation right. Oh, you don't understand time, do you? If you've ever owed a student loan and you didn't have the money, you would give them a call and say, I don't have it right now. Okay, I don't know about that. Okay, okay. Jeremy Flowers calls them and says, I ain't got it right now. Then they say, okay, listen to this recording. I wish I had somebody in here. Y'all know about that? And at the end of the recording, answer yes or I agree. You ever heard the recording? The recording says, you have recognized that you really want to pay. <laughs> but you don't have the ability right now. Now, I know y'all done lied on that thing. Say amen when you can. I don't want to pay, and I don't have the ability. If I had the ability, I still don't. Okay, now. And they'll tell you, we'll give you some time. But wow. Why we won't charge you right now? Your account is still accruing. But I'm so glad that as I look at the mercy of God, he says, I am a forbearer. But not only am I a forbearer, I make your account current and I wipe away all your debt and you don't owe me no interest. That's the mercy of God. Therefore, we ought to change because he's given us time to change. Lastly, God's mercy speaks to the discretionary power that God has to pardon someone or mitigate their punishment. Therefore, I ought to change because he took the penalty out of my past and inserted potential into my pain and momentum into my misery. After all he has done, after all he has sacrificed, what would be your spiritual response or your satanic excuse? We ought to want to change. If for no other reason than because of his mercy and his sacrifice. And when we really understand the totality of a sacrifice, then we ought to be compelled to sacrifice. We are to change because of his mercy. Not because of threat or guilt or psychological propaganda. But when you look back over your life and think things over, when you think about when you could have been dead, and you should have been dead, you ought to see 
God's mercy in your life. When you remember when you were at your lowest point in your life with no friends and no family, but God stepped in just right on time, you ought to see God's mercy in your life. When you were jobless and borderline homeless and God still made a way, you ought to see God's mercy in your life. When the doctor gave up the scientific method of diagnosis and said there's nothing that can be done on your behalf, but now you're still here living, breathing, and telling your story, you ought to see God's mercy in your life. When somebody looked at your life situation and said you'll never make it, you're nothing but a baby mama, you're nothing but a welfare recipient, you're nothing but a bastard child, you're nothing than an ex-convict, you're nothing more than a hopeless addict, but you're still here to testify that God is a good God and he can do anything but fail, you ought to see God's mercy in your life. When you think about his mercy, it ought to threaten you to feel to some extent guilty because in reality, somebody took the rap for all of us. All because he wanted to know you and for you to know him. But after all that he has done, the question is, do you know him? Do you look like him and talk like him and think like him? Let me tell you something. Though your record may be clean, we were all convicted of a crime that we did commit. But then Jesus showed up and said, though I am innocent and he is guilty, please allow me to take the punishment up to and including death by way of crucifixion. Why? Because I see hope in that sinner. And though they may not see it yet, they can be saved by replicating the same things I am doing to save even themselves. I will die to save them. But if they die to self, they can save themselves. I'm being buried to save them. But if they too are buried and come in contact with my blood, they can also save themselves. I will rise again after death to save them. But if they can arise in a new walk of life, they also can save themselves. Jesus, it makes no logical sense for you to die for the sins of someone who doesn't even recognize you. Oh, if Jesus could be here in the flesh, he would say, if it were logical, then it wouldn't be mercy. I expose, and I ask you as Christians to exhibit, not what makes sense by way of logic, but what makes sense by way of love. It's not logical to love your enemies. That's love. It's not logical to forgive somebody, that's love. 77 times 7 doesn't make logical sense 
Because some of us, if you like me, you got a three strikes you out rule. Say amen when you can. Get me once. Shame on you. Say amen when you can. Get me twice. Shame on me. They ain't going to be. I, w- I wish I had somebody who was real with themselves. Okay, okay, okay. That's why I understand that you struggle with the, the elementary principles of spirituality. Because the things of God are not logical. So when we start thinking of why we should forgive, it doesn't make sense. But when we start loving on why we should forgive, then it makes perfect sense because God is love and love is God. It makes no logical sense for you to die for somebody. Jesus was teaching us in terms of how he treats us and how we should treat other people. Because the rest of this chapter talks about interpersonal relationships. I don't want to give them another chance. I don't want to forgive them. Why I got to be the bigger man all the time? I don't want to be compassionate. I don't want to be merciful. Mercy should be given to those who don't know it, don't expect it, and too often don't respect it. Well, that's hard. That's holy. If you have no other reason to change and live holy and to sacrifice your body, renew your mind, transform your will, do it because you owe somebody. You owe this person everything, including your very life. If someone took the rap for you in the criminal justice system, though you were guilty, you would owe them an eternal debt of gratitude. You would visit them, write them, and put money on their books. And you would always remember them. Likewise, if a stranger saved your life, you would owe them an eternal debt of gratitude. You would forever perform kind things on their behalf and probably name your children after it. If someone gave you the gift of life, kidney, bone marrow, you would show your appreciation and celebrate and cherish that gift for the rest of your life. So how is it that Christ did all of these things? He took our guilt, saved our life, gave us the gift of life, his spirit. And if that's not enough, by the gruesome way that he died, he served as our blood donor. Because the blood that left him killed him. But the blood that we received has given us life. So how is it that he shows us so much mercy, but then we show him so much malevolence? He shows us so much benevolence, but we give him so much belligerence. He shows us infatuation, and we show him indignation. He puts in us so much investment, 
And we show him ingratitude because we are simply ungrateful. We are ungrateful of the mercy of God. When we can continue to cuss, even though we've been redeemed, we're ungrateful of the mercy of God. When we always lose our temper and we go off like a firecracker quicker than a light switch and we ain't getting no better because we're ungrateful for the mercy of God. When we fornicate and adulterate, it's because we're ungrateful of the mercy of God. Gossip, lie, backbite, devour one another, put unfavorable things on social media. Some of us need a checkup for that too. Say amen when you can. It's because we're ungrateful of the mercy of God. Well, Brother Flowers, if you don't like what I put on Facebook, I had to unfriend you. How about you become more friendly? If you, if you can't post it and show it to your grandmama, why are you going to put it on Facebook? Jesus says, I've given you favor, love, forbearance, yet you refuse to change. I've wiped away your tears, fixed your mistake. I've hidden the filthiness of your life and the hollow of my head, yet you refuse to change. And the thing that I want to leave with all of us this morning is that one day the time to change will expire. All things that are in darkness will then come to light. Come here, Dr. Luke. Luke chapter 8, verse number 17. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, or anything secret that will not be known and come to light until man really apprehends how much they owe to the mercy of God. They will never have a right feeling worshiping him. And that's why some of us struggle to worship. And we feel uncomfortable when we come in this place because we know that outside of these walls, we're not living right. We come here for ritual and not renewal. Ceremony and not change. And if we are not here to change and metamorphosize from who we are to who he is, then what is the purpose? If we're not here to be one day better, as evidenced by our progress, then what's the purpose? Well, Jeremy, I want to change. I just don't see why I need to change. We need to change because somebody was arrested for us, beaten for us, spit on for us. Hands and feet were tied and penetrated for us. Pierced on the side so he can bleed to death for us. I bet if somebody threatened to arrest you, you would change. You know the sad thing, Brother Brain? Some of us are more afraid of jail than hell. If somebody threatened to beat us, we would change. To offer or present our bodies as a living 
sacrifice. That's as far as I'm getting to. I won't even try to get to verse 2. To offer or present our bodies as a living sacrifice. To offer or present has multiplistic meaning. From the literal sense, it means to place beside or near. Metaphorically, it speaks toward us committing ourselves to God. The rest of this text speaks about interpersonal relationships, especially with other believers. And as Christians, we can never have true relationships, romantic or otherwise, with others until we're first committed to God. For my single folk, stop wanting people to commit to you that haven't first committed to God. If they can't commit to God, they don't understand what it means to commit to you. Oh, Brother Flowers, you messing up my game. That's the book. Hello? If you can't make a decision for God, why would I entrust you to make a decision in my marriage, for my household? If you can't walk behind God, why on earth would I walk behind you? Stop wanting people to commit to church and to ministry when they're not committed to God. You know one reason we're having a ministry fair? It's because some people need to move ministries. And then other people need to move out of ministries. You know why you need to move out of ministry? Because you're not committed to your ministry. And the real reason is... You're not committed to God himself. It's quiet in here. I would rather you be committed to God and then from the overflow of that be committed to the work of God. Too many folk want to work but don't know why they're working. I want to teach. You don't come to class. I want to lead. What do you know? It's quiet in here. Okay, okay. Let me jump off of that. Y'all don't like that one. Okay, now. Our five-year plan, Vision 2020, is to make us spiritually and, whole, and better holistically. But our spiritual wellness demands a multifaceted approach. We have to be better spiritually in terms of our discipleship, our stewardship, and our commitment. Because people, people ask me, and Brother Barry knows this, where are Brother Flowers? Why aren't people committed to the Lord, to the church, to the ministries, to Bible class, to activities? Because they're not disciples. Why are they not disciples? Because they're not spiritual. Some spiritual people to be committed to the cause when they first are committed to the Christ. That's why we started with spirituality. Because you can't start with discipleship because you can't disciple on spiritual people. So we all must develop spiritually so then we can be committed 
And once we are committed, then we can apply for discipleship. To present to God is more than just being present to God. To present, offer, is more than just being present in attendance. Well, I, I, I am a sacrifice. I'm there all the time. Every Sunday I'm there. My mama make me come. My grandma make me come. I got to be there because I want to hear from the church people. More than just coming to church. Because if we come to church without commitment to change and bettering oneself, worship is not really worship. Your body is here with me. Now, yeah, I know about that. Say amen when you can. But your mind, we as believers, we belong and are consecrated to the Lord. Therefore, we must cease to live for ourselves in order that we may devote all of our actions to his service. Now, to present illustratively is a verb, which means to present once and for all. It commands a definite commitment of the body to the Lord. It has a marital illustration. When two people get married, they have vows, and they say, through sickness and health and rich and poor, up times and down times. I'm committed to you thick and thin. But also marriage demands that my body no longer belongs to myself, but it belongs to my spouse. And all the married men to that said amen. That's 1 Corinthians 7. Husbands, your body is not your own. It belongs to your wife. Wife, your husband. Uh, your wife is not your own. It belongs to your husband. You shall not. You know the text, Tyrone. If you don't know, if you don't know no other text, you know that text, don't you? Uh, if you decide to, to not be hello somebody, join but only for a certain amount of time so that you can what? Pray? But you better what? Have a time you can get back together? Because the devil will bring about temptation? Preach flowers, I think I will. I just helped somebody out. They, they, they ain't heard no other part of summer. Give your body as what? A living sacrifice. Just in case you don't know it, your body really belongs to me. First Corinthians 6 and 20, don't you know that your body is a temple? That's my place, my spot. So why you keep bringing trash home? That's why I reign. I dwell. Your body should be a place of worship to me. But then you question if you're going to bring your body to a place of worship. You are a place of worship. You are a vessel of praise. Which means our body should be a place for my praise. Not your pleasure. It should be for my glory and not your gossip. My dedication and not your debauchery. But God knows, and the text illustrates, that the body is faulty. It's just symptomatic of the real problem that Paul addresses in the text. The problem starts with the body being a living sacrifice. 
But the problem really is the mind and the will. Mm. Let, 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 let me go ahead here. Who's on my computer right there? Ethan? For you bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Uh, go back. Give me uh, Romans. Go back to Romans 12, verse number 1. I'm going to close this thing out because I know somebody coming back tonight, so let me give you what you came for. Say amen when you can. I ain't going to give it all to you. But I'm going to give some of it to you. How does somebody know there's still hope? How can I still, how can I be saved as I struggle today? You, you, you got to give God your body. But also, mm, you have to give God your mind and transform your will. Holy Acceptable, pleasing to God. This is your reasonable service. Well, it just makes sense that you worship me in this way. I beseech you, verse 2, give me verse 2, Ethan. And do not be what? Conformed to this world. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. Gives the visual picture of a cookie cutter. And you trying to stuff yourself into an image that's already prepared. Don't you know the world already has a plan for your life? Satan already has a plan for your life. And he works from the outside in to change you, shape you, make you, and mold you into what he wants you to be. Satan and the world work from the outside in, while God and his truth works from the inside out. I'm trying to transform you inside out, but the world's trying to conform you outside in. From the inside out, that's renewal. From the outside in, that's pressure. That's why you go through this world with all that pressure in your life. And if you look at it, the devil is not only blunt, he's subtle. And he's conformed almost all of us to some degree. What we used to see as downright shameful, we now say it ain't that bad. Why? Because we started to conform. And it came about ever so slowly. Look at television as just one example. There were some things that would not have been on television 20 years ago because we would have not allowed it. But now it just ain't that bad. Oh, let's go back. Remember I Love Lucy? They were married, but they never talked about having sex, and they slept in two because that's what we viewed as wholesome back then. Now, today, it's okay to spend the night when you're dating. The 90-day rule, why haven't you given them a key to your place? Why aren't y'all living together? And we sit there and say, ha, 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 that's so funny. It ain't that bad to be cohabitating. Why? Because we've started to conform to the pattern of this world. Oh, there was a time when you couldn't cuss on TV. They let in the A word. Hello, the S word. Now you can say everything but the F word. 
And you might as well say, man, you know what all those words are. There was a time, and excuse my bluntness, but it's on TV, you would not see a tampon commercial or a condom commercial. There was a time when things were advertised by the quality of the product. Now everything is advertised by sex. Soon you won't be able to choose a daycare without a sexual innuendo. Why? Because we have conformed. There was a time when we would look a certain way upon homosexuality. Now you can't get a show on primetime TV without a homosexual character. Why? Because it makes us feel inclusive. It's not that bad. That's why we don't turn TV off anymore when two men and women kiss. Because now we've been conformed. Be careful of allowing the devil to conform your mind. Be transformed. By what? The renewing of your mind. Renew means to go back. Renew means to reinstate a privilege already afforded to you. Every five years, you go to the DMV to renew your driver's license. The privilege has already been afforded to you, but you got to come and renew it again. What are you telling the church at Rome, Paul? You've already been redeemed, but now you need to be renewed. There's hope for you. The Lord's still there. The privilege is still there. The love is still there. The grace is still there. The mercy is still there. God hasn't moved. You have. Renew his mercy. Renew his love in your life. I've already redeemed you. Now I want to renew you. I leave you with this. I grew up in the state of Michigan. Most of us know that. In Michigan, they have something called the bottle deposit. And a bottle deposit basically is when you buy a drink, a soda, some of y'all, when you buy liquor, say amen when you can. At the register, you are charged for the product plus 10 cents. The thought pattern is you won't even miss and notice a simple 10 cent. But the thought is when you're done with the drink or the beverage and you throw it away, you will not throw it away because now it has value to you. You will collect all your cans and your bottles from the trash and be encouraged to recycle them because you can go to the store and get your 10 cent back. God is saying, you know, I redeemed you. When you were trash on the side of the road, I saw the value of you because even from the beginning, I put value in you. I made sure that you were worth something so that even when the world was done with you, you still find worth in yourself. And no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, 
you still have hope. Why? Because you still have value. Why? Because I redeemed you. And when you came to me, I assessed a value on you. And even when the world takes you for all that you're worth, you're always going to be worth something because even from the beginning, I placed a price on you. But the question is, will you come and redeem yourself for the worth that you have? Understand, this morning, you still have hope. No matter how far you've gone, how long it's been since you've been here, how can I be safe? You know what I'm Change your will and will sacrifice your body. If you do these things in a continuous fashion, salvation can be yours and heaven can be your home. Let's be standing and not singing. Let's be standing and not singing. If perchance you are a child of God and you strayed away from the love of God, the way of God, the will of God, and the word of God, you can still come back. This time is for you. This invitation is for you. This song is for you. So many times when the song is somewhere looking to see who else is going to go down in front. It ain't about them. It's about you. To get yourself right. Somebody would say, well, I want to get right, but I, I've given up on myself. I feel there's no more hope. Christ says there's always hope. The question is, do you want to change? And if you want to change on this morning, whether you're a baptized believer or not, will you come down now? Renew your life to Christ so that he can give you what you need for what you need it for. If, you're, if you are a child of God, you live contrary, you've walked away from the path and the way, will you come back to Jesus right now? Lord, I've sinned. I repent of my sin. I want to come back and be equally your child. If you're not a child of God, will you come to him? Will you be baptized? Will you be saved? What must I do to be saved? You must hear the word of God. Believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. We'll baptize you right now for the mission of your sins. All things old will become new. And then you'll have the hope of Jesus Christ. Do you need salvation? Do you need encouragement? Do you need hope? Will you come now as we sing the song of invitation? 576.